Welcome, everyone. How's everyone doing? My name is Jake, and I want to just welcome everyone. Um, we've been in a series <clears throat> called uh, Hot Topics. And as you can expect, we've not shied away from uh, talking about some of these uh, topics that are going on in culture. Um, last week, we talked about uh, homosexuality and, and the gay community. And uh, I just want to, I want to commend you first off, church. Um, I, I've had a lot of emails and a lot of conversations after it. And uh, one of the things I want to commend you on is for leaning in on this topic. Um, I think the more and more I studied on this and, and the topic we're going to talk about today, <clears throat> the importance for community is so vital for this. Uh, to be a church that just comes, listens to a message, walks away, and um, just, you know, does with it with whatever they want to do with it, without engaging in it, without leaning in on it, without talking about it, I think is, um, is not good. And one thing that I've been encouraged with this week is a lot of you guys have been talking. I mean, <clears throat> you listened to an hour and 20 minute message last week. <laughs> an hour and 20 minutes. That's, that's not typical. And, and yet you guys leaned in and the conversations have been good. And some of you have not all agreed on some of it. And yet you still talked. And that's important. We need to be a church that one, doesn't shy away from talking about tough subjects, but also engaging and, 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 and having uh, questions and talking, even if we don't agree. Uh, the first century church, you think they agreed on everything? <laughs> no, half of Paul's letters that he writes is like, listen, you're over here, you're over here, let's, let's talk. Let's, let's, let's address some of these issues. And so uh, today I want to talk about um, the gender identity and the trans community. And if last week talking about the gay community was talking about maybe a battle that's been, a war that's been fought, and, and maybe you could justify one, this topic is going right into the wound. This is something that um, is so current and so right now that even uh, studying it, um, things are moving and things are changing so fast. And when it comes to this topic of gender identity and pronouns and names and, and the trans community, um, I just gotta say up front just a couple things. One. This thing is, is, is as deep as it is wide. And for me to cover every part of it would just be virtually impossible because it is so vast. You know, and there are a couple scriptures that, that talk about one thing and there's other scriptures that talk about another. And, and we're gonna really try and get to the heart of it uh, this morning. And, and hopefully you'll learn something uh, and grow with it. But by no means am I saying this is it. Like I've landed and we've, we've reached a conclusion on this. This thing is changing and moving so fast and so frequently that you can open up the paper tomorrow and find all kinds of new ways that this is uh, playing out in our culture today. Uh, so I want to walk humbly, and yet I think I'll present something uh, my conclusion should hopefully uh, connect with you. And, and like I just want to say again, come with an open heart here. I know maybe you're sitting on one side of this or, another, or the other side of this. Uh, I'm going to ask for you to lean in. Like I said, if you walk out of here, and I had so many people like, I've, I've listened to last week's message like a couple times now. Uh, I've got questions, and I've got, like if, if you walk out of here with maybe more questions than answers, then I'll say yes. 
because I want you to engage in this. Um, I'll give you a ton of resources afterwards, and I want to challenge you to, if this is something that, that you're interested in or have more questions about, dig into it. Don't just take my word for it. You dive into it. You go into the scriptures. Be like the Bereans of the Old Testament or the New Testament uh, that, that sought out and looked at the truth and, and studied the scriptures for themselves. Uh, I think you'll benefit from that. So with that, I want to ask you uh, our main kind of focus today and, and our biggest question is, uh, let's, hold on, don't want to do that. <clears throat> this is our question we want to focus on. Who am I? If I were to ask you this, this is a loaded question, isn't it? Who am I? Because we're talking about identity at the very core. And, and a lot of you, you know, um, if you're over 25, you've probably feel somewhat resolved in this question, who am I? But if you're younger and if you remember even your younger teenage years and growing up and maybe even in your 20s, maybe even still now, you're asking this question, who am I? And this can cause a lot of anxiety, can it? A lot of stress, a lot of worry, I remember when we closed down our church in downtown Denver storyline, um, I was at a crux in my, in my ministry because it was like, do I want to, like, this is all I've known is being a pastor. And, and, and once again, I was coming back to this question at the age of 40, who am I? Like, who am I? If you were to ask me, I, you could answer this a hundred different ways. I could say my name, well, I'm Jake. I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> you know, I'm six foot one. 200 pounds, give or take, <laughs> right? I like music, I like movies. Like we can go into kind of all of that, but, but I don't wanna, I wanna zoom in a little bit more. You say, okay, well, you're a male, uh, you're a pastor. No, I wanna zoom in even more to this question. If you were to really break it down, you could see when we look at our lives, there's the inner me and then there is the what? outer me. I mean, if we're really to boil this up, really get in and hone down to the, the root of you, to the root of me, you have an inner me, which is, makes up your mind, your soul, your emotions, your spirit, right? Those things that aren't tangible. It's the inner you that is you. And if you were to look at this as kind of a structure, if you will, a building, the outer me would be kind of the foundation, the outer me is your body. It's the material. It's the physical things, right? It's the dirt in this earth. It's the world. It's the, it's the things you can touch, feel, smell, breathe. Like This is the, the, the difference between the outer and the inner. And here's the deal is the inner me can change at times, can it? Your emotions, your feelings, your, your spirit, those things can shift, Right? But a foundation, your outer me, the body, the material things doesn't change as quickly, does it? This is why when you hear a commercial, lose weight, you know, 60 pounds in two days, you're like, <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> because it doesn't change. It's something concrete you're born with, right? You, you have a physical body. You didn't, you know, sit down and go, I'll have, you know, three arms and one leg and just... No, like you were, you, it, was, it was foundational in your life. Now, what if, what if your inner me, your mind, your emotions didn't line up 
with your outer me, with your body? What if your mind was telling you that I am this, and it's different than the material, the body, the outer me that you have? Then this question right here, who am I, would be really complex, wouldn't it? And this is the crux of what we're talking about when we talk about transgender, gender identity. We're getting at the core of this is who am I? And to wrestle with that question when some things don't line up like that can be real. It's tough enough to answer that question by itself. Imagine if that were kind of crisscrossed and different for you, how hard and anxious and difficult that could be. So I wanna pray as we dive into this and we're gonna, we're gonna hit the ground running and just pray that the Holy Spirit kind of shows up and teaches us and guides us in, in the way that he wants. Father, I'm so uh, glad that every person matters to you. God, I'm so glad that as we look at this issue for some of us, God, it is confusing. And, and it's hard even just to keep up with it. It's hard to fully understand, which sometimes causes us to fear a little bit, to stand back a little bit. But in the middle of it is a group of people that you love dearly. God, I pray this morning as we dive into this topic, one, that truth would be revealed, and two, God, your heart would be revealed. Break our hearts to the things that break yours, God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. June 2014, the cover of Time Magazine did an article, We Are Now at the Tipping Point of the Trans World. This was followed up in 2021 uh, with the front page cover of Elliot Page. Many of you remember her from maybe Inception or movies like that, who fully transitioned in an article called I Am fully who I am. Time did a follow-up article after this entitled, My Brother's Pregnancy and the Making of a New American Family. And in it, the article was written, by a, it's written about a guy named Evan, and it was written by his sister. And she writes the article and says this in the article, what if you were born into a female body, know you are a man, and still want to participate in the traditionally exclusive right of womanhood. What kind of man are you then? You've read these articles before. You've seen the stories. They're all over. In 2018, the Boy Scouts officially changed their name to reflect this new cultural shift. They're no longer called just the Boy Scouts, but they're called BSM, an acronym for that. Style Magazine uh, recently wrote about the youngest trans model uh, that is making a career out of it at 10 years old. You've seen TV shows uh, from Amazon all the way to reality shows of young, uh, young people transitioning fully into this through hormones and then ultimately through surgery. In 2021, in our own backyard here in Boulder County, uh, a pastor becomes the Lutheran denomination's first transgender clergy member of color. And she joins Paula Williams, who already was a pastor and had tr transitioned at the age of 60 years old. Paula was a man, a pastor in New York City, 
when she transitioned, uh, left her family, was abandoned by the church, and later became a pastor of a church up in Boulder. 60 years old. What we're finding, too, is that those that even lean towards maybe a more progressive side that affirm more of the trans movement are even struggling themselves with the implications of how this is all playing out in our modern day culture. Things and issues like bathrooms and sports, right? Even in the, own, in, in the LGBTQ plus community itself, which is easy maybe for us as a church to just look at as one group and say, you know, maybe it's, it's them and us. But even within the LGBTQ plus community, the trans movement has, has all kinds of uh, run-ins and tensions. Uh, many uh, in the gay activists, um, some feminists are now... Asking questions, are we pushing too far in this? All the rights we've been fighting for women now, are, are they all going to be thrown out the window? So even within the LGBTQ community, there's tension around this issue. In a recent New York Times article, they wrote about the sharp rise in young transgender, ages 13 to 25, And they said this, that from the year 2017 to 2020, the numbers have doubled in just that short time. As I said, this thing is moving 100 miles an hour, and it is not planning on stopping. And it is hard. If you're over the age of 25, like me, you're probably a little dizzy, (laughs) You're probably going, how did we get here? It's like I woke up and it's a different world. I'm on Mars. Those of you maybe under the age of 25, this is part of probably many, many conversations you have. It's pretty familiar in many ways. We're seeing predominantly this movement grow in the younger age, between 13 and 25, not exclusively, but as I said, the numbers have doubled. Over 500,000, just in a couple years, they've seen that movement grow. And you say, well, what is, what is pushing that? Why is it moving so fast? Well, let me ask you a question. Those over 25, right, for most of us, maybe older, when you grew up and we're asking those questions at the critical ages of 13 to 20 years old, you probably already had a set outer me in line. Hey, I'm a male, right? You just, you can look down and just go, okay, that's, that solves the question for me. And so figuring out this, who am I, you had really just two choices and really just one choice. But imagine that those choices were a buffet. Imagine those choices were more than just what you were born with, but you had a lot more options. If you didn't fit in, if you were wrestling with issues of identity and a community was opening their arms and saying, maybe you are part of our community we're seeing a big shift and a grow in that. It'd be easier to find a community if you have different options as you grew up answering this question. Are you with me? And we'll get into more of that. But the question you might be asking at this point is, with all of this going on, how many transgender people are there in the United States? The question is, of our population, 0.6% percent of our population identify as transgender, which you might say, wow, that's, 
that's pretty small. That equals about 1.6 million people. 1.6 million people that God loves. And it's so easy for us to approach this as just a topic. And trust me, I've, I've been there and still fight this. But I think what we need to lean into as a church is more than just a topic. This is people. 1.6 million. In Colorado alone, the percentage is 1.24%. That's 54,000 people in Colorado. And this is the statistic that will blow your mind that just... Of this percentage, 41% of that 1.6 million people, 41% church of these people will at some point in their life try to commit suicide. 41%. That means literally almost 50%, one out of two people that you meet that are part of, have chosen or not chosen to be part of the transgender community, have wrestled with or will wrestle with suicide, with ending their life. That's an alarming statistic compared to the average in the U.S. is 4%. So part of the answer is why is this moving so fast? Why do we see things progressing so far in this, part of it we see is because of this number. Part of it is going, doctors, uh, psychologists are looking at and going, okay, if they identify this, then we have to transition them quickly. Because literally some of the conversations doctors or those that have walked through it say, or the question the doctor gives is, do you want a dead son or a living daughter? Like these are the choices parents are faced with all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and it is moving fast. Now, at this point, I've got to define some terms. Um, I'm going to give you a list of resources. And as I said, this thing is as wide as it is deep. In one of the books um, that, that I'll recommend by Mark Yarhouse, he's the leading Christian psychologist in this, there is six pages of definitions, okay? And if you've dove into this topic at all, you've probably realized, oh my word, like there is, there's a, all kinds of identities and different, um, different uh, terms to learn. And I, I've gone through that for you. I'm whittling it down to just the ones that will help you, help us as a church. So a couple things to just help us fully understand as I'm talking through this, what, what we're really looking at. So the first part, I wanna talk about gender theory, this idea of gender theory. Gender theory is broken down into, into four different parts. First part is your gender identity. Okay, you say, what is gender identity? This is, this is who you would identify in the inner me. Okay, this is who you would identify in your mind, in your emotions. I feel like I identify as whatever, fill in the blank that's there. That's your gender identity in that phrase. Now your biological sex, that phrase is talking about your outer me, your physical body, okay? This is what you were born with. This is what is on your birth certificate. 
Next is your gender expression. What is your gender expression? This is how you represent yourself. This is, so maybe you, you identify in your mind as one thing, your body is a different thing, but you express that to the world. What is your expression? It's how I give myself to the world. It's how I present myself to the world, whether that's male, female, or something else. You with me so far? Lastly, your sexual orientation. What is this? This is your romantic attraction, okay? Now you can see when you get all of these and, and you mix up things, if my mind is telling me I'm one thing, my body is another thing, I express myself maybe as one of those or something different, and I'm romantically attracted to something, you could see how there's all kinds of different mixtures within this. And as you dive into this topic, you'll see that's why it can be so vast and so wide. Four terms that you need to know as it comes to this topic. The first word I wanna give you is transgender. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, what is, I don't even know what transgender is. Transgender is, as defined by Mark Yarhouse, is an umbrella term, and I cannot stress that enough. It is a umbrella term, just the collective junk drawer, if you will, for the many ways in which people might experience and or present and express or live out their gender identities differently from people whose sense of gender identity is congruent with their biological sex. Does this make sense? Okay. Another word I wanna introduce you to, non-binary. Have you, how many of you have heard this phrase before? Yes. Non-binary, a binary is something that only has two options. Think of it as an either or, black or white, good or bad, male or female. People who identify as non-binary feel that these binary categories don't reflect their experience of gender. You may, may have also heard of the terms gender queer, gender fluid, or pangender. These all fit under that kind of general term of non-binary. You with me? All right, gender dysphoria. How many have heard of this phrase before? Gender dysphoria, as described in the book Embodied, is a psychological term, and this is important to remember. For the distress some people feel when their internal sense of self, their inner me, right, doesn't match their biological sex, their outer me, it can be used as a general description of how someone feels, but listen to this. More formally though, it is a psych psychological diagnosis, okay? A doctor diagnoses this. As a diagnosis, gender dysphoria used to be called gender identity disorder, but the name was changed to gender dysphoria in the latest edition of the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders, fifth edition, 2013. This is... This is, like I said, a diagnosed condition. This is more than I just feel, okay, although that, that is some of it. This is an actual condition like depression and suicide, right? Where something in my brain, whether the neuroplasticity and the wires are wrong or whatever, but my inner part of me does not match the physical body that I have. And a doctor will diagnose this, okay? This is a legitimate thing. And this is something as Christians, we need to have extreme compassion for. 
I wanna read to you just a description of one person's experience as best described in words of them dealing with gender dysphoria. She writes, the piercing to the heart feeling when you feel like every single person in the room is staring at you, like your heart is ripped open and they're just picking at the pieces. This may sound pretty harsh to someone who has never experienced gender dysphoria. However, for me, it happens in some degree almost every time I'm out in public places and with people around me. It also happens before I get ready to go out. And this has become such a battle, fighting just to leave my house. And by the time I've fought for hours at a time, I'm exhausted and broken. I feel inadequate, broken, and I just want to disappear. This is hard. Other descriptions is I feel like, you know, a serum's in my body and I just feel uncomfortable. I, I, I can't live with myself. This is an actual diagnosed doctor's um, prescription for this. Now, here's something interesting. When it comes to gender dysphoria, 60 to 88% of those that experience early onset uh, gender dysmorphia will grow out of it. And most of them that do feel this that deal with gender dysphoria happen at an earlier age, not exclusively, but statistics pretty much lean that way. And 60 to 88% that do deal with that, that wrestle with this will eventually grow out of it. But those that don't will deal with this the rest of their lives. And as I said, we need to have an understandably merciful grace as we look to them. Because a lot of times, those that struggle with this get lumped into the LGBTQ kind of debate, and they're just trying to survive, just trying to live out with this tension and the struggle, just like someone who's dealing with, who's dealing with depression, and, and you don't even know it. They're quietly dealing with this. Now, another term that you need to know in this conversation is intersex. What is intersex? As defined by Preston Sprinkle, intersex is a term used to describe the 16 or so medical conditions where a person is born with one or more atypical features in the sexual anatomy or sex chromosomes. This is a small percentage of people, but it is a percentage of people that are literally born. Sometimes, you, maybe you heard the word growing up, hermaphrodite, that's an antiquated term. We don't, we don't use that anymore. It's like saying the word floppy disks, you know, it's just, you don't use it anymore, okay? Intersex describes the 16 different type of medical conditions you can be born with. Some people are born with both anatomy, both male and female genitalia. Sometimes it's a mixture of those things. And that's hard to wrestle with because a lot of times, as with those with gender dysmorphia, those, these people are lumped into the LGBTQ movement and accused and attacked for reasons that they don't even want to be in. Most intersex people will, at birth and early on in age, align themselves with a particular sex, male or female, but not always. And as with the gender dysmorphia church, we need to have a tremendous amount of compassion for these people who are wrestling through this, 
who are trying to figure this out as well. And a lot of times they get lumped into this conversation and a lot of times they don't even wanna be part of it. They could care less about certain rights. They just wanna try and live through this. Many of them go on to have just normal lives. You with me so far? So I wanna get to the heart of this. Like I said, there's a million different directions we can go. I can talk about certain scriptures about cross dressing you name it, there's a thousand. I wanna get to the core of it, okay? I wanna pop the hood, if you will. Instead of describing the car and kind of walking around what a car is, I wanna pop the hood and kind of get to the, to the meat of this, where this uh, is as far as what God thinks about this and where it is and how we relate and how we move forward to it. So are you ready? Yeah. All right, Genesis chapter one, we're going back to the beginning. Verse 27, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Now, stop there. Here's what's interesting. You've heard the term before probably image bearers, right? that you are image bearers. We have to define this because this is really important as we're talking about uh, humans, gender, male and female. You are the image of God. When we bear the image of God, that's different than being the image of God. Because if I can bear something, if I can bear an image, it means I can take off an image. Does that make sense? Now, if you're in this room and you say, I follow Christ and I love Jesus, I surrendered my life to that, you are bearing the image of God. You are bearing his representation. You are wearing his jersey, if you will. You're amplifying and showing the world, expressing his name. This is why the commandment you know, is so strict on do not take the Lord's name in vain. It's not just saying God's name in a, in a rash way. It's literally bearing his name to the world in a way that it was not meant to. Does that make sense? But if you are here, whether you're a Christ follower or not, you are a human being, then you are the image of God. That's what the scripture says. You were created, whether you choose to follow God or not, you are bearing, you are the image of God. And when he does this and creates it, he doesn't just create one person, he creates it in two ways. Verse 27 still, in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the land and conquer it, rule over the fish, the sea, the flying creatures of the sky, and over every animal that crawls on the land. So God gives this description. He creates you in his image, but he creates you in two different parts, a male and a female. And he says, have lots of sex and rule. Who said God's boring? Right? But in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, right? And in this perfect creation, you have this breakdown um, and everything that is in the inner and everything that is in the outer is all working together in one place here. There's no separation. God is not flesh. He is in Jesus Christ, but God is spirit, right? He is, 
He's not, he's ethereal. He's, he's part of the inner, if you will. But yet in the garden, in the beginning, it says that God walked among the cool of the day. He was, he was physical somehow, right? There's this blending, there's this marrying there. It says when Adam and Eve are created, they're created naked and there's no shame. There's no shame because there's no separation of the body for them to be shameful. It's just all together. My inner lines up with my outer and I'm not shameful at all about anything with my body. I'm comfortable. There's a complete synergy when God creates man and woman. Are you with me so far? So the question is, he creates woman, he creates man, and he says this image, this pairing, if you will, represents God. Now that word image is, when you break it down in the original Hebrew, it describes like an idol, right? Which I know, you know, is so kind of weird for us to think about because it's not like you go home and you're like, hey, did you clean the idols today? Like, are we good? Like, yeah, I dusted them, we're, we're fine. Um, we're not used to that, but in, in ancient time, an idol was a physical thing. It wasn't the God itself, but it represented the God. It was a physical, tangible thing that had the spirit of it. It was kind of like an inner and an outer. Does that make sense? A, a blend of that. And that's what God says, man and woman together produce this image of God. Now you say, why is it so, what's the purpose of God doing male and female. Three different reasons. First one is to reveal and reflect. We talked last week about the suitable helper. We broke down that Hebrew word konegdo, right? We said that konegdo is, is a together against kind of word. It's an opposites but together. If it was just a likeness, then the Hebrew word would have just been k but instead he uses konegdo, a compound word saying that man and woman, they're suitable together because they complement each other. When you are being, as you created, male, female, woman, you are revealing God himself. When you are participating in your womanhood, right? And that can be reflected through different gifts. Remember, God doesn't give gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't give gifts based on man or woman, right? There's no separation of that. That's diverse in many ways. But there is a uniqueness. You were born with one or the other to reflect the image of God to the world, but also to reveal back to God his creation, the image of God. You are the image. The other thing is, to, is the purpose in creating male and female is to release and restrain. To release and re restrain. Now, this isn't a scientific study, but this is just my own thought. You can disagree with me, but if you get a group of guys, 10 guys, just shooting the breeze, just sitting there talking, and a woman comes into that environment, it changes the room, doesn't it? It just, I, and I don't know how to describe that. It just does. Ladies, if you're in a group together, likewise, right? And you're just talking, just hanging out and a guy comes into that room, it changes. 
right? It, 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 it changes the atmosphere, if you will. The worst of male, the worst of female is restrained, and the best of male and the best attributes of female are elevated. It, am I just talking out of my mind here? Like, do you see this? Like, it, it is this beautiful kind of release and restraint. This is why, this is why, you know, denominations that have just gathered around just, you know, a hundred elder men, you know, coming up with theology and how we're going to structure our doctrine can be so dangerous, right? Because when you meet with me, just as Pastor Jake, you're going to get one side. When you meet with Pastor Jake and Kim, it is a totally different conversation. She brings out, she restrains the rough sides of me and elevates the best side of me. And this is part of why God did this, why he, he created the difference. What, uh, I don't know, do I want to know? <laughs> My wife's laughing up there. <laughs> and the third part is this, and, and let me just say this when it comes to this, is we do have to be careful with stereotypes. We do have to walk with caution with this. Because what a lot of people that are walking into some of these questions, when you're presented with a multiple different options of how I can express or how I think my body's being expressed, when we build up a stereotype of just male and female, sometimes that can push people into, well, let me just say this. Like I grew up, I loved, anyone remember Pound Puppies or Cabbage Patch Kids? Yeah. I liked them, okay? I know, I was like, like, all my friends were like, pound puppy, like what? Come on, man, let's play Transformers or something. And I was like, it's like I just like pound puppies. It was, I was into art with some things. Like, there are some, now, now, I was okay because those that were around me, my church, my pastors, my parents were fine with that. They were like, he's just, he's expressing this in a way. They didn't chop it down and go, well, that's not manly. You need to shut that down which might turn me internally and go, well, maybe I'm not a man then. And if I have options, then I might lean towards that. And if a community is embracing me because of that, I might even run to that. Yeah. Does this make sense? Yeah. You know, so we, we gotta be careful that sometimes with stereotypes, you know, the, the you know, cigar toting, you know, whiskey drinking guy, you know, and that image of just that, it's a lot broader than that. You know, women just... You know, you don't just cross-stitch and paint watercolors. Like, it's, it's a lot more than that. <laughs> and it's okay, you know, and that's okay. We need to celebrate. A lot of kids that are growing up that kind of go in and out and try different things this way, a lot of times we're finding by the time they're 18 and they grow up, they've grown out of some of these things. But, it, but we just need to walk with caution with that. And the third thing this does, and why God created male and female to do this, is to remind us of a reunion, what is that reunion? Let's read this now. So we read in Genesis. Let's go all the way to the end. Revelations chapter 21 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a what? New earth. New earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So you have this imagery, you have this wording of a new heaven, a new earth. This isn't 
God just going, I'm scrapping the old. That's not what this is saying. It's not new in that way. It's a restoring of what it was, but it's into a new thing. Does that make sense? So he's using this imagery of new, right? So if this is Genesis chapter one, then in Revelations here, you have this picture, 21, of a new earth, right? Of a new heaven. Um, it's, it's taken from the old, it's taken the fractured part of it, but Revelation paint, paints a different picture in that it's not what it was, but it's what it is now, right? And this is where we have this timeline moving from here to here. So in Eden, at the very beginning, you have this perfect kind of marriage of inner and outer, and everything is fine. Everything is as it should be. And then you have at the end of the story in Revelations chapter 21, the same picture, right? There's even a garden, the scripture tells us in Revelations. You have a new heaven and a new earth. It's, a new, it's still the inner, the physical, the, the dirt, the material, it's still there. And the outer, the spiritual is, is as well. Does this make sense? Now, this is important because at the height of inner, at the height of of your inner side, your mind, your spirit, your, your soul, right? At the height of that relationship, at the greatest intimacy of that is what we just call spirituality. The greatest height of that inner you is your relationship with the creator. And the greatest height, the most intimate you can be in the outer, you can have other connections with other flesh, other people, other bodies, but the greatest is sexuality. The greatest union, the greatest reflection of, this, of your body, of a, the highest form of union, is a sexual union, it's sexuality. Are you with me? But we don't live here, and we don't live here yet, right? We live somewhere in the middle, don't we? Something changed, something happened at the very beginning that altered it all. And it's all Genesis 3 tells us. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are tempted, they partake, sin is introduced into our world, and everything in the inner now is split. And everything in the outer now, what was once kind of together, is now split and now broken. And you see this avalanche, this breakdown of spirit, of inner, our relationship with God is fractured, right? Our relationship with our inner self is fractured now. Who am I? Our, our relationship on the outer with creation, the world is beginning to break down. Our bodies now are beginning, it, it's out of relationship. For the first time in history, death is now, inter, is, is now part of the story. And what is death? We can, that's a whole message in and of itself. But at the very core, you can say, it's a separation of the inner me and the outer me. Forever. Right? Your body's dead, it's done, it's decayed, and your spirit goes on. Now you go, okay, this is interesting, Jake. What does this have to do with transgender community? We'll get there, okay? When this spirals out of control, 
then you have the breakdown and the separation of both the inner me and the outer me. So that now what used to be together and kind of in union, now it says your inner me can be separate and whatever you think and your emotions have or dictate is different than the body. Does this make sense? I'm seeing some questions, Marks. Let's put it this way. When, when we talk and we see this, you know, in the early church, it was called Gnosticism, okay? This separation of, of, of material body is evil and the spiritual, the, the inner is elevated. Um, maybe if you were to even ask this room today, hey, how many of you think eternity in heaven is just this floating, ethereal, spiritual kind of just heaven for eternity. Some of you might go, yeah, but then you read Revelations 21, you go, wait a minute, <laughs> that's not it. It is a new earth. It is what it was, the inner and the outer together. But since the breakdown and the fall and sin entered in, there's been this mission, if you will, to separate the two. Body, the outer me, the inner me, and the spirit. Why does the enemy want to do that? Because if I can separate that, if I can say, hey, what you, what you do physically is different than your inner, then, it, then making decisions like, all right, we'll just go there, abortion. If, if the body is, and, and the inner and the outer are not together, then the body can just be material, Hello? And so it's separated and it makes it easier to just go, well, that doesn't matter. When it comes to uh, euthanasia, right? Well, their brain is still alive, but their body is, or their body's still alive, but their mind's not like, we can, how do you figure that out? It, when it's just a body and it's not a whole, it's easier to make other decisions. When it comes to the hookup culture today, Right? If approaching sexuality now is separate from my inner me, then it doesn't matter the person that I'm with. I just need a body. Hello? I just need to get what I need and you need to get what you need. And we call it friends with, ben with benefits. Well, it's not even friends. Sometimes it's just strangers. And, and if, if the body is all I need, right? Then, then I can shape it. I can do, then it's just about meeting the needs. It's not who I am. And then sex becomes just a performance. This is why you hear the radio all the time. Hey, if you have issues with ED, if you have performance, learn how to, articles in magazines, learn how to perform as the best. Why? Because since the beginning of the fall, we've been trying, the enemy has tried to separate the two. Now, when it comes to the issue now of gender, the enemy is now using this idea for those that choose saying, whatever dictates your thoughts, your inner, can now dictate also and change your actual body. And now we have the science so advanced that we can start to make that shift. Instead of the body being a part of your identity otherwise, to identify you as the image of God, in many ways now, the enemy through doing this is separating the two and neutering the image of God to the world. And if the enemy can do that and, and the world only sees half a light versus the light, 
then he's won. He's tainted it. Does that make sense? But this isn't the end. We don't live here. We don't live there. We've experienced this, but something changed this. And it's an invitation for a different way. And it all changed with Jesus. This is huge because God became flesh, the inner and the outer, once again married and said, as it was in the beginning, I will now begin the process of renewing all creation. And so the things that were broken, the things that were fractured, the things that were separated, the inner and the outer that's been separated, I'm now bringing new, even the simple action of God being flesh himself is showing that. But when he died and was resurrected, that signified to the rest of the world that we're going somewhere. Think about it. What, if it didn't matter, if our bodies didn't matter, if it was meant to be separated, why did Jesus come back to a resurrected body? It'd be useless. But that separation, it says, Paul talks about death being the final victory of Jesus. Why? Because death was the separation of, of the inner me and the outer me. And now, <laughs> death is no more. Death is not something we have to fear because God is bringing all things new and he's aligning those things. But we don't live there yet. We get to join in the process of this and Jesus gives us this invitation. Now listen to this. First uh, Corinthians chapter six. If you got there, turn there and we're gonna look at verse 19 because this shifts everything. When you understand this, then the issue of identity, who am I, doesn't become so stressful. Because if this is, you're, you're wrestling with this based on your identity, Jesus offers something else. Instead of saying, who am I? When you follow Jesus, it's whose am I? And that changes everything. It is good news because I don't have to figure out what I am. <laughs> Who am I? Oh, we could wrestle forever with that. I don't know, have to know that because I know whose I am. I am his. Listen to 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body, your outer me, is a temple of the Roach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, who is in you? whom you have from God and that, you, and that you are not your own. Church, you're not your own. If you follow Jesus, you're not your own. And that's a good thing. <laughs> I can relax now. I don't have to be stressed out. I can look at what I was created as, as a reflection of what God is and go, this is me and I'm unique in my ways through my personality and the giftings, but I'm uniquely male. And I don't have to wrestle with who I am because I know whose I am. You with me? For you were not bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your bodies. Romans chapter 12, verse one says this, I urge you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your what? Bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice because you're living. 
right? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Well, how do I do this? He gives us it. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed. How do I transform? By the renewing of my mind, my inner me, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The more I'm altering and changing my mind, because I'm not mine, I am not my own. I follow Jesus and now I am becoming like him. And I can rest in that. I can enjoy that. I can reflect that and reveal that at the same time. Are you with me? Do you see how this is so important to it? Because, because from the beginning of time and still even to this day, the enemy wants to try and separate these two and say, whatever, you know, your, your, your inner thoughts, your inner me is, is so different than your outer me. And God's going, no, you don't understand. This is a beautiful synergy that I created to reveal who I am. And one day you'll be there again too. But we don't quite live there yet. So maybe your next question is, what about those that don't have a choice in this matter? What about those that, that are intersex, those that struggle with gender dysmorphia? Well, I think they live partly because of the Genesis 3, the fall of man. We see the breakdown of it. And, and is it fair? I don't know. I don't understand it. What do the scriptures say, though? Jesus is uh, confronted about divorce. And in the conversation, when he's talking about divorce and whether or not he permits it or doesn't permit it, he goes back to Genesis 1 and talks about creation. And he says, God created the male and female. And what God put together, let no man separate. He's stressing this unity. He's stressing, this is the revealed image of God. It's when they're together. And the disciples hear this and they go, well, this is tough. Like, like you can't just you know, walk out on a marriage at all. Like it, it's that much of a union. And this is what he responds to them and kind of goes in a different direction. But I think it's relevant to us today. He says, the disciples said to him, if that's the case for man and his wife, it's better not to marry Jesus says this, but he said to them, not everyone can, care, can accept this saying, only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made that way by men. And there were eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Who can accept this? Let him accept this. Now, what is a eunuch? A lot of people, I don't know, I, you maybe have a preconceived idea. What is Paul, what is the scriptures alluding to in Jesus' day? A eunuch was someone, predominantly a male, who was without male genitalia. Whether it, he was castrated, whether he was born that way, whether he was made that way. Sometimes they uh, did this to men uh, to, in service to a queen, Right, so that he, they knew he wouldn't fool around with the queen like this, you know, that wasn't even an option. And this is what's beautiful about the scriptures is Jesus is talking about a totally different issue, but he brings in this issue and, and recognizes there are people who are born this way. There are people that are made this way and there's people that choose to be this way, that were made it. And for those that can accept it, should accept this. I love it because Jesus at least gives us a recognition. 
that, yeah, we don't live here yet and we don't live quite here yet. We live in the, in the breakdown and there are just, there are some people that are gonna have this and some people that won't. But he recognizes them. I love this verse next, Isaiah 56. Listen to this. This is God's view on them for the eunuchs. He says, for thus says Adonai, God, to the eunuchs who keep my Shabbat, my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Listen to this. Oh, this is, I will give to them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. I don't know how this works. I don't know why they're, like I said, I think it's part of the fall of man. But here you have God saying, I hear you and I see you and I love you so much. And in my kingdom, you're gonna have a special name and a special place. And if that's God's heart, Maybe that should be my heart. Are you with me, church? So how do we move forward in this? A couple thoughts. One, we, we've got to realize this issue is, is so wide and nuanced. This isn't a topic to just be debated. It is a people to be loved. And there are 1.6 million people that are wrestling with this, whether it's a choice or not a choice. It is so contentious that 41% of them are contemplating taking their lives. We need to have compassion. We need to see them. We need to engage in the story. We need to talk. We need to talk with them. The second thing I would say this is we need community. We need community in this church for your sake, but we need community for their sake too. And for the families that are going through this. There, are people, there could be people sitting right next to you that are going through hell because of this issue. Whether it's the kid, whether it's themselves, but they're wrestling with legitimate things. And for us to just go, hey, everything's great and lovely is, is not right. We need to embrace, we need to talk, we need to start the conversation because so many are feeling alone and they're running into the arms of the transgender community and finding community there before the church. And that can't be. True discipleship, true formation happens when we're in community. The other thing I would say is we gotta, we gotta watch our posture and gesture. When we say we're welcoming, it could be different if our posture's like this, right? We can say, oh, well, yeah, God loves everyone. And then we're like, but, but maybe not those. <laughs> our gesture and our posture can say a lot, right? I would say this, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> and the more I read and the more I've talked with people and family members and, and that are walking through this, I think our best posture is first to listen, to just listen. Hear their story, hear where they're coming from, whether it's a kid that's in, in a, just wrestling with some of these issues or it's an adult or a parent that's trying to figure this out and doctors are saying to do this. We need to listen first. Church, you with me? 
And then lastly, I'd say we, we do have to be careful with stereotypes, right? We have to walk with caution with this. We need tender warriors. We need men that are tender warriors and we need women that are tough women. We need the whole gamut of it, right? You're unique in that. God made you that way as a reflection of his image. Let's be careful not to stereotype it and therefore shove people into forcing them to make a decision of, well, maybe I'm not then male if I like to listen to musicals. <laughs> Come on. All right. Now about this time you might be saying, well, what about this issue? And this is my attempt in just one minute rapid, rapid fire questions I wanna answer some of the maybe questions that I feel you had in having some of these conversations. First question, what about pronouns and names? This is tough. This is a heated conversation right now. Um, and I see both sides of it. On one side, you have a, people that say, you know, hey, no matter what you choose, I don't want to affirm a lie in you. You know, if you say that you're a she, but you're a he, I don't, why, why should I affirm a lie? That, that would be wrong of me to do that. I get that. I understand that. And on the other side, I see how just a simple gesture of recognizing someone's name can go a long way into building relationships. Some of the stories I read, just by acknowledging their name, it opens the door for further conversation. So where I've landed, if you want me to call you Fred Flintstone, I'll call you Fred Flintstone. If it means I can talk with you, if it means I can hear your story, if it means I get an indoor to listen and be a part of your life. Are you with me, church? What about bathrooms? I know, this is, this is the world, this is the cult, this is today. We're having these conversations. We're having laws shaped around this. And this can be a heated debate. And rightfully so, even going back to the uh, civil rights era, bathrooms were an issue and, and legitimate for a reason. So what do we do about bathrooms? I don't know, I think it's tough. We live in a, a tough time. On, one side, I think we, we, we can't just be, you know, we gotta be careful. There are predators and there are situations that we have to be cautious and use wisdom for. But then there's another, there's another side to it. We're talking with a lot of these people. You know, a lot of them, they just wanna pee. <laughs> One book I read talked about um, some Christians and some that weren't believers yet that were coming just trying out a church and the first thing they looked for as soon as they walked into the door was look to the bathrooms. And if they didn't have stalls in there, they didn't have a family restroom in there that they could, they wouldn't even, they'd turn around and walk away. Some of them described they wouldn't go to the coffee bar, they wouldn't get any kind of drinks because they're so fearful of having to use the restroom and have this be an issue that they just won't even deal with it. I can, that's, I can't imagine. 
For us here at Jubilee, we have men's and women's bathrooms. Both of them have stalls, but we also have a family restroom. And for those that need that and for that privacy, we offer that to, to you. It's in our kids' wings. And obviously, if you go in our kids' wing and don't have a kid, you might want to check in with security before they tackle you. <laughs> but we make that available. It's, it's, these are things and questions we, we didn't think we'd be talking about, but yet we're here. And we need to be, think from all sides of this. What about men's and women's groups? Oh, this is tough. I talked to pastors today that are dealing with this. I've, we've got someone who's, you know, what do you do? If someone's coming, they're not yet a Christian, they wanna come to a women's group, a Bible study, they wanna come to the men's, you know, Bible study, a discipleship group. What do we do in that process? I think we need to have some grace. You know, I, I think the typical way we look at church and, and Christianity is this idea that we have to behave first, then believe, and then we end up belonging. But I think that's reversed when you look at Jesus in the first century church. I think it was about belonging first, then believing, and then the behavior changes. I mean, wasn't that true for you? I don't know about you, but when I came to Jesus, I still had a lot of junk, man, for years that I was working through. I had, I had people last week that just that, that had some issues and some complaints. And, and part of my answer is just, man, discipleship is messy. It's messy. <laughs> when we're involved in each other's lives and we're still dealing with junk, man, it's not always gonna look pretty. We're not always gonna have this nice, shiny, happy people. And I think that's good. I think sometimes we gotta have grace for each other, whether that's someone walking through this or someone that's dealing with other issues of anger or materialism, or you name it. We need to have grace for that as we walk through the process. Where do you see this all going, Jake? Oh, that's a loaded question too. I mean, just the other day, we read an article about uh, a woman that was working with the NAACP and it came to find out that she actually wasn't black, she was white. And in a statement, she said, I don't identify as, uh, with my whiteness. I identify as a black. To which all the African-Americans said, but you're not. <laughs> you're just not. Like, where is this going? Like, how far will this lead us? Um, interspecies now. We're, we're, you may have heard of this before. Like, now, when you open up kind of this idea that my outer me can be shaped by my inner me, then what if I'm non-binary, don't relate to either female, male, but an animal, a species of some kind. We have whole communities formed over, I'm, I identify as a dog. Teachers are having to wrestle with this now in school. This is a reality of it. Uh, transabled, you know, I don't, have you heard of this? Anyone heard of this? This is someone who identifies as a disabled person. And so they have a part of their body that they don't identify with. And they say, and so they go to the extremes of literally like cutting off limbs, uh, crushing their arms, crippling themselves so that they can fully identify with what their mind lines up with. It's transabled. It, it is wild when you get so far past the separation that the enemy has used of inner and outer me, who, like I said, many in the LGBTQ community are still even wrestling with this? How, what are the implications of it? Lastly, how, how, do you, how do I talk to my kids about this? This is a tough one. 
Uh, I'm going to give you a bunch of resources and some books that I'd recommend. And I even have more books if you're walking through specific issues. Um, if you're here and this topic has not been brought up in your house and, and your kids, you know, I would just encourage you to be open and, and talk about it. Just talk. Kids, kids need to just have someone listening. Whether they're thinking this or not, I guarantee you they probably have friends or know someone or people in school that are already walking through a lot of this. And so parents, we need on that end, we just need to have an open door for conversation. If you're here and you've got a kid who's expressed some interest that I don't identify, my body is different than what I feel. I might be you know, a woman versus a, a male. I, I don't know. Here's what I would recommend to you. Right now, the, the culture says to do this, that once you start feeling this, that you need to start expressing yourself physically to the world that way. The next step is you need to take the hormones to begin shifting that way. And lastly, you need to have the surgery to fully transition that way. And part of their reason, and I understand it to a fault, is this rate, is this 41% suicide rate. And so it's, it's, you need to move quick on this. You need to move quick. And what I would tell you from all my research and studying church, if you're a parent and this is all of a sudden forced on you, whether it's doctors and even psychologists, is I would just say this, slow down, slow down. We're just barely scratching the surface of what you know, science is actually telling us even on this. And many people are coming out on the other side of this going, I was rushed into this, I was forced into this, and now I'm having to deal with this, a disfigured body. Just slow down, okay? Most kids, most people that wrestle with some of this issue, by the time they're 18, will just, it'll settle it, itself out. Not all. But, but a good majority of them. And so I think having a conversation, talking. Listen, we have, and I, I already approached all of our counselors here at Jubilee. We, we make available counseling for church members here. And, and if you're walking through this as a parent, I can't imagine what you're wrestling. You cannot do this alone. You need people. And we have, we have a counseling team that says, we will meet with you. We will talk with you as the student. We'll talk with you as a family. And if we need to, to, to send you somewhere that we trust, then we'll recommend a place we trust. But talk, have the conversations, and slow down. You with me? All right, last, um, I want to show you some books here. This list. Um, You'll see a bunch of, of books here. Uh, Mark Yarhouse, he, like I said, he's the Christian uh, psychologist that kind of leads this way. F great, great books if you want to dive into this. Uh, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. I cannot recommend this book enough. Um, if you're looking for just one book, it is a, it's an in-depth, great, great book. Um, you're looking at about 100 hours if you want to dive into this, just diving into some books. And I encourage you to do this if this is something... Uh, that you're interested in. It's roughly a, a season of Yellowstone, okay? <laughs> uh, and you'll walk away a lot, lot more informed and, and your heart will be, you'll, you'll, I think the Holy Spirit will reveal a lot in there. So.